Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. Hey, we're on week number two of a series called This Is Us, uh, Stories of Unfolding Redemption, where we have been highlighting stories inside of our own church community. Stories of courage and stories of struggle and stories of hope, uh, stories of unfolding redemption. And unfolding is a key word because if you've started your faith journey, you, like us, uh, you're in the process of redemption. It's an ongoing uh, process, a continual transformation that takes place. And so we've been highlighting stories of ongoing transformation, ongoing change in people's lives. Our stories are still in the process of being written. So if you find yourself today in a place of life, in a season of life that you're not particularly fond of, the good news is is that God isn't through with your story. He's still writing. He's still creating. And if we'll allow him, he will continue to write our our story moving forward because your story isn't over. Today I want to talk about a faith journey. Uh, Everything has a starting point. Even our faith journey has a starting point. You had a starting point. Some of you were started on purpose. And some of you, surprise, right? The biggest surprise of life. Either way, glad that you're here. Your education had a starting point. Uh, Even your uh, romance had a starting point. Remember when you were seven or eight years old, the first time you fell in love? Probably was with your cousin. Hopefully you moved on from that. Or if you're from Kentucky, you married him, right? Something, something like that. I'm just saying, you know that's true. You know that's true. Everything has a starting point. Today, I want to talk about the starting point of faith and kind of the journey, the process that we go through. But let's pray, see what God has for us. So Lord, uh, today we want to just uh, present ourselves to hear and to receive from you. And um, it's really our desire that we could leave this place changed and Lord, I pray that you would draw near to us, especially draw near to those who feel very far from you. I know there are some here today, they feel very distant and uh, feel like maybe they've lost your attention or you've left them. And I pray today that you would whisper a reminder that you're still here, you're still around, you still care, you still have good plans for them, and that we would begin to just sense that and feel the presence of God. Take a step towards us this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray. Pray that um, even in uh, our offering, that we want to do so in a way of worship, in a way of uh, presenting it to you as a way of uh, you being first in all areas of our life. Uh, We want to reflect the image of God. That's what we want. And so would you polish us, as it were? Will you refine us? Will you continue the unfolding redemption that you're working out in each of us? We invite your presence. Lord, I want to pray for a a nation as well that is just torn uh, today and hurting over uh, recent situations and uh, the needless uh, death of uh, men and women and children. And uh, Lord, today we want to come together under the banner of Christ, regardless of differences of some opinions, but we want to come together under the banner of Christ and ask that um, a word of truth would go forth and a word... Um, a word that values the sanctity of life, all life from conception forward. 
And so we just want to do our part in asking that uh, you would uh, unify our voice, that we would say no to needless death. You would give wisdom to our officials and our government to uh, find a solution to this. Lord, we pray that you would be with uh, the family and friends who are devastated right now and that you would surround them with uh, people who would be able to hold them up and minister to them. And I pray that nothing, um, I pray that this would not be a moment where nothing is done, but let something uh, occur in this country to step towards a solution uh, that this would come to an end, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's talk about our faith journey. At some point, your faith journey began, and you loved my illustrations last time, so you're going to get them again. Faith Journey First Service actually applauded to that because they love my drawings, but apparently not so much here, but that's okay. Your fa- no, 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 it's cheap now. It's cheap. It's cheap applause. Your faith journey started here. Regardless of what that looks like, this is you know, kind of the beginning point. And maybe for you, your faith journey began as a child through conversations with mom and dad or uh, conversations with a Sunday school teacher. And, and your faith journey began, or maybe your faith journey began a little bit later in life. Hey, for four people, second service last week, their, their faith journey started last week right here at the end of a service. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And so this is kind of the beginning of our faith journey where we kind of embrace the idea of Jesus and the forgiveness of sin. And, and, and most likely your faith journey started off with a bang where it was up and to the right, right? That, that's always the direction we want, want to go up and, and to the right. And your faith journey just started off with such a bang and you were sensing the presence of God and you were riding a spiritual high and God was answering prayers and the Bible was alive to you and uh, you would come to church every Sunday and, and the pastor could be any pastor. We'll just throw out two letters. Let's say his initials were MK. Could be anybody though. And, and Look my name up. And, and so, uh, and, and everything the pastor said was just resonating with you. And it was like you, they were speaking directly to you. And every time you got in your car, your favorite song was on the radio. And, and you got the, 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 the you know, front row parking at the mall. And even your scale was saying you were five pounds lighter. And everything in faith was just good and, and kind of like you were just riding the spiritual high. But regardless of, of where your faith begins and, and, and journey in life, at what age, at some point your faith is going to be tested. And your faith is going to be put through the fire. In other words, what I believe is going to be challenged by what I perceive. What I believe to be true about God is going to be challenged by what I'm perceiving or what I am experiencing around me. And the basic tenets of faith sometimes will even be challenged. The idea that God is good, this idea that God rewards uh, righteousness and punishes evil, this idea that God answers prayer, and early on in your faith, all of those things are a yes and amen, and it's good, and then suddenly you kind of peek out here at the top. And then the phone call comes, and it's the doctor, and the news is not good. Or it's a financial struggle, or the person that said, uh, I do, now says, I don't. Or, or the children decide to kind of go off on their own and do their own thing. And relationship trouble, financial stress, whatever it is, suddenly you're in the middle of a crisis. And, and you remember what it was like at the top, but if you're honest, 
You've peaked, and you're heading downhill. And, and, and we, call this, we call this the dip. And you don't know how it happened, but you're in the dip now where all of a sudden your faith is being challenged and, and, and you have questions without answers and you're wondering where is God in all of this and suddenly faith isn't that easy. Right, Your favorite song is, is not only on the radio, it can't even be found, and your radio is stuck to country rap. It's that kind of day, right? right? The, the nearest parking spot is a mile and a half from the mall, and the scale says you've gained five pounds. And suddenly, faith is challenged. And you enter into what's known as a crisis of belief. where everything that you thought you knew about God is suddenly being challenged. And you, you, you heard that God is good, but if God is good, why is so much bad happening to me? You ever think that? And if God is all-powerful, why are prayers not being answered? And, and, and if God could do something, why, why is he doing nothing? And that struggle, what, that what you're experiencing doesn't line up with what you believe, and you're on the downward side of faith. And how you respond to the dip determines what your faith looks like moving forward. See, some people in the dip, they'll they'll just say, well, I'm going back to the top. And I'm going to pretend that nothing's happening. I'm going to bury my head in the sand, and I'm just going to be naive, and I'm going to pretend that everything's good. And, And other people say, well, you know what? I can't go back to the top. I can't pretend. I'm just quitting. I'm going back to the beginning because if God is not interested in giving me the life that I feel that I deserve, if God can't give me a life without pain and without suffering and and, and without this tension, then I'll just give up on God altogether. Or we can challenge ourselves. The only other option, and that is to hang on. That is to hang on through the dip that something's going to carry us out and that something's going to pull us out. And that's not easy. Because you must anchor yourself and hang on for the ride of your life because at sometimes, at sometimes, in the dip, there's no easy solution and sometimes there's no easy way out of the dip. My faith journey began when I was 15 years old. It was the day before I was going to end my life. I had given God an ultimatum. I said, God, you have seven days to show up. I don't know if you're real. I don't know who you are, but something has got to give. There was just so much heaviness in my life and so much desperation. I needed something to shift. And through a crazy set of circumstances, I ended up being enveloped by the love of God through a youth group event. And it it was like life from the dead for me. It was... Every day was a new adventure. I was learning something new about God. My first five years of faith were somewhat similar to that, where every day I was experiencing an, 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 a new truth, a new, a new adventure. After two years in a youth group, I, I went to a Bible college. I, I felt like I had a call to ministry on my life. And there was a, a, a simplicity, a, an effervescence almost to my faith that I, that I enjoyed. And it was, it, it felt easy for me to believe in God. Yeah, I'll never forget the first seizure that my daughter had. This was, <laughs> uh, this might be the worst day of my life. 
I found out at work that morning that my job was going away in three months. So, so I went home and as I'm walking in the door, our, our then 14 month old Cynthia starts having a seizure. We didn't really, we didn't know what was happening. I can tell you now that she was having a seizure, but we didn't know what was happening. What we knew, what, what we knew was this, that, my, that Barbara was holding Cindy, that she was shaking violently and her face was starting to turn blue. So Cindy was diagnosed with an epileptic seizure and we sort of thought that was the end of things. She seemed okay for about three months. And then we got a phone call from our nanny. Our, our nanny told us that Cindy was seizing in, in her crib, so we, we instructed her to call 911 and we, so we started the process again. This is when everything changed for us. We, 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 this was when we realized that Cindy didn't have a seizure. Cindy was an epileptic. And that was a, a tough thing to, to sort of manage. Um, but we moved forward as best we could. There were, you know, On top of this diagnosis, we also had some less than helpful guidance or advice from, from the church we were attending at the time. Yeah, eventually what he said is there's, I know exactly what's causing the seizures. And the problem is this, you have unconfessed sin in your life. You are opening the door for the devil to wreak havoc in your family. He said, every time you look in the New Testament, you can see that epilepsy is caused by demonic influence. So your daughter is demonized. She's too young to have this be a result of anything she's done, So, but it falls on you as the head of the household. Chris, this is your fault. You need to purify your heart, cleanse your heart and your daughter will be healed. Gosh, all the, the, the guilt, the weight of shame that I felt when he said that. I mean, I'm still, that was over a decade ago. And there are still moments where, where echoes of that, of those statements come into my mind, replay in my head. And I have to make a choice to not allow those to, to hold sway in my life. But over time, we grew accustomed to kind of managing this part of our life. 10 years into this struggle, we had another wrinkle emerge, another, another faith challenge that's based on health conditions. I started having seizures myself. And my very initial response to that was anger with God. His frustration, agitation, pick a synonym. I was, I was ticked. I was pissed off. Here, my wife and I and so many other people we know have been praying for over a decade for, for Cynthia to be healed. And not only is she not healed, but I get seizures on top of it. 
this, this concept of life isn't fair, this isn't justice, this isn't the kind of God that, that I want to be around, just balloons to the top of, to the top of my thoughts and I couldn't, I couldn't let go of that. There was a, there was a great darkness, a, a great cloud that sort of overwhelmed me, I, I, that I couldn't shake. I, I didn't realize that how deep the, the hole I was in had come and how much it was affecting my family until when I was in, until I, I heard Elijah say something as I was in the middle of slamming the door as I walked out during one of the arguments that I was having with my wife. I heard him say, why is dad angry all the time now? And, and and it's like that that pierced the the, the darkness, the, the the veil that was that was covering my eyes, and I was able to see with a fresh light that I had become this this ball of of rage, lashing out at people when when it had nothing to do with them, and, and I, I had this 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 unresolved question of God, where are you? I don't I don't have a plan B. There isn't. Look, I know what life is like outside of Christ. I remember being one day before suicide and, and outside of the hope that is found in God. I know I'd end up right back in that place. So it's been 15 years since Cindy had her first seizure and about five years since my seizure started up again. I've had a lot of struggles with my faith. There have been dark times. There have been difficult times. There have been times where, where I have wondered, God, I know that you are capable of healing in an instant. Why, why would you not do that? There have been times where I've raged against God. There have been times where I've wondered if he even cares. But I've learned that he does care and I, I don't pretend to understand why it is that he doesn't snap his fingers that was a terrible snap why he doesn't snap his fingers and bring healing for my daughter and for myself there's a part of me that would obviously love to have that but I, but, but there is still a, a, a sense of, of of knowing that he is here, he is walking the path with, with me, with my family as we, as we walk through these difficult, crazy challenges, and, and this is why I'm still here. This is why you'll see me most Sundays showing up. Is because I, I believe with all my heart that, that like I said earlier, like that, that God is still for me. That God is walking this path, this challenging path with me, and there is there is a hope. I am, it almost feels weird to use that word hope or comfort, but there is there is hope, there is comfort in knowing that that I'm not walking this path alone. There, there, there are moments where where I can very clearly sense or know that God is doing something, and those, those touch points for me are 
are, are powerful and are meaningful and sort of give me the, the energy to continue to push forward even when the times are challenging, even when it's difficult. My name is Chris Morris, and this is my story. I want to thank Chris for being very raw and open uh, with his struggles and what his story is and his unfolding redemption and what he's going through. But how do we respond when we're in the dip? You know, Chris said, my, my faith started off so strong and so great and just experiencing so many good things about God. And suddenly, you know, out of nowhere, it's just kind of like everything falls apart. And I'm on the downward side of faith now with more questions and answers. And how do we respond in that? There's nothing like pain to derail or deactivate your faith. There's nothing like unanswered prayer to challenge what you believe, whether, whether you're experiencing it personally or whether you see other people close to you experiencing it. It causes all of these questions. Where is God when I need Him? Why is this happening to me? Why does it appear that evil prevails? And how much longer is this going to happen? And James speaks into our topic today, um, but in doing so, James gives us good news and bad news. James gives us the ultimate solution to suffering, but uh, the good news is he gives us the answer. The bad news is you're not going to like his answer. James 5, he gives us a two-word answer on how we should respond in the dip, and he's writing to a Jewish culture that is well aware and familiar with suffering and pain and tension. They knew it personally, and they knew it culturally, right? Political oppression was nothing new to them. And so now he's writing to Jewish believers who just became Christians. Persecution broke out. We can read about that in Acts 15. Persecution broke out, and these Jewish Christians now are scattering from Jerusalem, and they're spread abroad throughout Asia Minor Minor, uh, in fear of their life. And so James is writing to these individuals about how to handle their, their... persecution and how to handle their struggle. They're in the dip. Faith started off strong and now faith was on the downward end and and they have a lot of questions going on. James has a lot to say about suffering. We talked about it two weeks ago during our Super Bowl service. Remember James 1 where James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance And let endurance have its perfect result. They may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says, look, there are times that you're going through it. And the best thing you can do is understand that your faith is being tested. And allow that testing to produce a stronger faith in you. Now he's closing out his epistle, out of his letter. And now he's going to talk to people, not to the people who come out of the dip because their circumstances change. But people who are caught in the dip because their circumstances may never change begins his letter, and now he's ending it with this. And he gives us two words when you're caught in the dip, and I told you you're not going to like them. He says, here's my advice to you. Be patient. So what he says in, in James 5, 7. Be patient. That's all you got. I mean, look, I know it's the Bible, but really... James, could you not plagiarize something from Paul and bring something with some substance to us? Because be patient doesn't really feel like an answer. 
Be patient feels like something you say when you don't know what to say. When you don't have an answer, you tell someone, just kind of, kind of be patient. It's almost insulting. These aren't people that were theorizing about suffering. They're living it. And James, the brother of Jesus, says this, be patient. And if that's not bad enough, he tells us how, how long we should be patient for. Go ahead and switch over to the computer. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters. For how long, James? Until the Lord returns. Oh, well, this is just great. You're really pouring it on thick now. Be patient, he says, until, until the Lord's coming. James says, look, I'm going to give you the solution to our suffering and the problems we're facing, be patient to the Lord's coming. He doesn't even tell us how long. He just says that some nebulous, a far off, vague destination, the Lord's coming. But let's unpack what he's saying because this is key. Now follow me, please. Put aside your frustration. Understand what he's saying. He's saying, look, to Christians who are, per- who are uh, enduring persecution, right? They're caught in the dip. He says this. Be patient to the Lord returns because the ultimate solution to suffering in this life is not always found in this life. Jesus says, look, I know you want a better answer and I know you, you, you like it when you can come out of the dip, but you may, you're going to need to figure out how do you pull out of the dip? How does your faith remain? How, does, how is it sustained even if your circumstances do not change? Because there are some times that the solution, the ultimate solution to pain and suffering in this life will not be found in this life. And it will only be found in the life to come. See, sometimes you hit the dip and you'll persevere and you'll endure and you'll come out because your circumstances change. But some of us are here and you're in the dip and you've been in the, Chris has been in the dip for 15 years. And he's had to learn, how does my faith pull out of the dip even when my circumstances do not change? James goes on in verse 7. He says, see how the farmer waits For the land to yield its valuable crops, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. He says, look, what does the farmer do after he plants his seed? He takes a step back. He allows the soil to interact with the seed. He he allows uh, uh, the earth to do what the earth needs to do. He waits for the autumn and the spring rains to come. And he's patient, realizing that something is taking place, even though he doesn't necessarily see it. And then he goes on in verse 8, he says, you too, speaking to us, he says, you too, be patient and stand firm. Now that stand firm actually means to stabilize your inner man or your inner woman. James is saying, if you're in the dip right now and if you're suffering, you know how easy it is to get knocked over and for your faith to be abandoned. And you know how difficult it is to stand strong and to be rooted. And so what James says, look, if that's you, and I'm saying it to you, if you're in the dip and you're suffering, James says, stabilize your inner man. Stabilize your inner woman. Recalibrate your heart to a greater truth even though you may not see it right now. James says, recalibrate your faith to a new reality, that God is up to something. Because if you don't, you may never come out of this dip. Verse 8, 
He says, you too, be patient and stand firm. And then he says, here's why you stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. He says, this is why we recalibrate our heart. This is why we recalibrate our faith. He says, look, just as the farmer waits for the autumn and the spring rains, he says, look, the Lord's coming is near as well. That you can rely on this. Now, anytime in the Old Testament, when they were talking about rain, it was a metaphor for God coming unto his people. Whether it was the Holy Spirit, whether it was Christ, whether it was just the presence of God coming, it was a metaphor for God meeting his people. And so when he was writing to his Jewish readers, and he says, wait for the coming rain, they would have been like, oh, I get it. I know what he says. I know what he means. That God is going to make this thing right. That God is going to show himself at, at some point. Now, look. We have to state the obvious here. And I'm moving quickly because we're getting out of time. We have to state the obvious here. He says, because the Lord's coming is near. James wrote this 2,000 years ago. His math was just a little bit off. Right? We just can't pass this by and say, nothing. No, he missed it, right? But there's a really good reason why all of the New Testament authors wrote with such urgency. It's because they saw Jesus face to face face. They experienced his ministry. They saw the crucifixion. And when he left, right, during the ascension, it was just, uh, it just made sense to them that as quickly as he left, he's going to return. And so they lived with an expectancy, well, Jesus was just here. It's like when you go to the store, dad's going to be back. Just be patient. Dad will be back. And, and so the New Testament authors were like, Jesus left, but he's coming back. He may be back tomorrow. Be prepared. And so James is saying, hey, Hang on, be patient until the Lord returns. And he's trying to recalibrate their faith into something bigger that that is taking place. And now James says this earlier in verse 12, and we need to touch on this because he kind of puts life into perspective, especially for us. He says this, he says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James says, you know why you need to be patient and wait for the Lord's coming? Because whether you realize it or not, your life goes by like that. And if you're 40, this verse makes a lot of sense to you right now. If you're in your 20s, you're like, you're crazy. You come back to me when you're 40. I'm turning 50 this year, and I'm thinking, what happened? Yeah, people who are 60 are clapping. I'm thinking, what happened? You know what it's like. Hey, it may seem like yesterday you were bringing your baby home from the hospital and it's been 20 years. Because life is a vapor. It's here for a while and then it vanishes and James is saying, look, I realize you're in the dip and I realize that things aren't going well and sometimes circumstances won't change. But if you hear me, hang on and be patient because your life will be over before you know it. And you're going to look back on eternity and say, man, that 75, 80 years in life was just such a small little speck of eternity. He goes on in verse 9. He says, hey, here's a thought. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged because the judge is standing at the door. Here's what he's saying. He says, when life is hard and unrelenting and you're in the dip, he says, quit turning on one another. Have you ever found yourself in the dip and you started taking it out on your spouse? or the kids, or you kick the dog. Hey, kick the cat. There's an overpopulation of cats. I'm joking. But you know what it's like when life is hard and you start taking it out on everybody, right? Everybody becomes the enemy. It's not their fault. James say, hey, 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 listen, listen, listen. I get it. Life is hard. 
but quit taking it out on everybody else. Right? Get, get, get the upper hand on this thing as, as you're moving forward and you're going through these circumstances. Then in verse 16 he says, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets. Again, his Jewish readers would get this. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. When a prophet showed up, they would uh, speak for God. Everyone would reject the prophet. Sometimes they'd run them out of town. They'd say they're crazy. And with time and patience, the prophet was proven right. God would come through. And he's like, look, take the prophets. Right? Nobody believed them, but eventually with time, they were proven right. And then in verse 11, he says, As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. He says, you know how, would, you, know how you feel about people who have persevered? Do you know that feeling when you look at people? Think of somebody in your life who has been belt, dealt a bad hand and yet they keep coming back and they keep rising above and they keep signing back up for faith and they keep recalibrating their heart and recalibrating their faith. And you look at them and you think, your faith is amazing. That regardless of what happens, you just keep holding on. And James says, you know how you feel about those people? He says, now it's time for you to step up. And to you, for you to leave that measure of faith for people who are coming from behind you. You know how we count as blessed those who persevere. Now it's your time. You're going to leave a story for those coming behind you who will say, remember those people who were scattered because of persecution, and yet they held tight to their faith. Now it's your turn. Parents, some of our children are watching us as we go through the dip. And we leave a story for them That when life was hard, mom and dad did not budge. You leave a story. Then he leaves us with the example of Job. He says, hey, remember during Job's suffering, Job thought God left him, that he lost God's attention, and God was actually cheering him on. Remember in Job's story when all hell was breaking loose and God was like, that's my boy. He's like, can you remember? And his Jewish readers would have been like, I remember, I remember. He's like, look, don't, Take your circumstances as meaning that God is absent. One of the things that Chris said, and it wasn't in his testimony, he said, I've kind of adopted this mantra that God is good all the time, even if I don't see it. And that's what, kind of what James is saying here. Hey, can, can we just agree that God is good still, even, even when circumstances are not at their best? Then he closes in verse 11. He says, hey, I need to remind you of this. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Hey, in case the suffering has knocked you off path, and in case you forgot, in case you're doubting, and in case you're wondering if God is really good, let me just remind you that our God is full of compassion and mercy. And one day, regardless of what your circumstances are, one day, if you can hang on, and one day, if you're patient, you will see it. Not in theory, but you will see it face to face. I wish there was a better answer for some of us. I wish when we were going through suffering, I could stand up and say, hey, your suffering will pass. And for some of us, it will pass, right? We'll, we'll move through the dip and circumstances will change and we'll come above and then suddenly we're going to hit another dip and it'll pass. But sometimes, Chris has been in the dip for 15 years and yet he keeps showing up. He calls me sometimes. He says, man, I've had you know, eight seizures today. My daughter's had too many, and I fell, and I hit my head. And he's like, I'm in a dark place, and I'm struggling. And right now, I'm asking God, where are you at again? And next week, he's walking into church. I'm like, how are you doing? Like, I'm still here. Recalibrating my faith. Recalibrating my heart. And even if I don't see it now, 
I will see it one day. And so we pray and we believe for you and we believe that your situation is going to change and that God can bring healing. We believe your marriage is going to be restored and we believe that your finances can be better and we believe that your children can return and we pray and we believe and we hope and all of that. But if it doesn't change, James is saying, look, we can't guarantee it's going to change, but here's what I can guarantee. At one time, at some point in the future, we win this thing when the Lord returns. Or we go to see him first. And in the end, recalibrate your heart. Because this life is moving so quickly that you want to stand before your creator, faithful, regardless of circumstances. Let's stand. I told you you wouldn't like the answer. But there's so much truth in this. And it's really something that we need to get our heads around. And we need to get our faith around. Next week we're going to hear another um, story of unfolding redemption. As we'll tackle another topic. Uh, I encourage you to invite friends to it. I hope you're enjoying the series and hearing some stories of people from within. And we'll continue it next week. Pray with me. Lord, I know there are some people who are here today and they're in the dip and I think there may even be some that maybe said, this is it, this is my last chance, this is your last chance, God, that if you don't show, if you don't reveal yourself, if you don't speak somehow, I'm out. And I am praying, God, that you are revealing yourself to that person. I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you're sparking something within them. I'm hoping that they're sensing the presence of God and the love of God that would not allow them to drift. I pray for hope over your situation. And I pray that there would be a change in your situation. And I pray that God would show himself and part the waters. I pray that you would be um, ushered out of that dip and begin to climb in your faith. But I pray that you will begin to climb in your faith regardless of the circumstances. And that you will begin to experience the love of God even in the midst of trials. I speak that over you. I speak that hope over you and that truth over you. I pray that the face of God would shine upon you. The hand of God would rest upon you. I pray that he would be gracious and kind to you this week. And that you would recalibrate your heart and recalibrate your faith to continue moving forward, even in the dip. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Reveal, I appreciate you being here. I don't take that for granted. We always want to present you with something that is inspiring to you, that God can speak through. I hope we did that today. If you would like prayer, we'll have uh, some people down here who would love to pray for you, especially if you're going through the dip. Allow us some time to pray for you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.